Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this passage. Thank you so much that we get to study your word together, that we can read it in our own language and understand it. I pray, God, that you would bless every person who came today that they would feel your presence and your love, and they would feel like no matter what they're going through, whatever fire they're going through, that you are there with them in the fire, and that you just want their heart more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in the first verse, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, so people who are legalists, people who get caught up in legalism, they go by different names in this letter. Paul calls them dogs and evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. That's all verse 2 of this chapter. And here he describes them as those who have confidence in the flesh. So just to define again what legalism is, it's the belief that we can earn salvation by good works. Pretty basic definition. That's what legalism amounts to. And when you follow that thought as far as it goes, you get what we call being legalistic, which is when you begin to do nitpicky things. You nitpick everything you do and everything others do because any wrong deed might lose salvation. And so that's a scary thing. And so you're always going around being afraid that you don't want to do anything remotely wrong in case you might be losing your salvation and only do the right things because you might lose it and you're judging others because that person claimed to be a Christian and they drank a soda, which is caffeine, and they, so they're addicted to caffeine, so that's a sin. I'm going to call that a sin. And so now they're, maybe they're not going to heaven. Maybe they're not even saved, and that, that's a legalism. When you begin to nitpick every little thing to try to find rights and wrongs to justify yourself and others. So the definition there in your worship guide Being legalistic is when you add on rules to make yourself feel holy. When you add on extra rules. And we're all prone to this kind of legalism, especially because we tend to get bored of the simplicity that's in Christ. This is my assessment of why we do this. We're going to go meet with Christians, and we want to have some way of standing out. And I can give you an example. My favorite example is when I was at a men's group one time. And if you know me at all, you know that I can basically sing some song for anything you say. There's some song that has that line in it, and I'll just do it. That's just the way that I am. I was at this group, and some guy said something, and I sang a little tune based on his line, and everybody laughed. And this other guy goes, what's that? And someone says, oh, it's this song. And he goes, oh, I haven't listened to secular music in 20 years. And he had this kind of like... I'm so holy face when he said it. And I was thinking in my mind, I didn't, I didn't bite back because I got, I've gotten better about that, but I was thinking in my mind, have you watched movies in 20 years? And was there a soundtrack? And was every piece of soundtrack Christian? Probably hadn't thought that through. But in his mind, it was like, I'm not going to listen to anything unless it is completely Christian, including like 
classical music with no lyrics at all. We just add this stuff on. And there's many other examples. There's many ways Christians compete for some higher sense of holiness that others might want to attain. Lindsay knows well the homeschooling crowd can get really into this. They, they can really compare with one another how they're raising their kids and what rules they have and what curriculums they're using and what kind of programs they're involved in. And they really want to tell you why theirs is better and make you feel like you're inferior because you don't have all their things worked out. That's definitely a thing. There's also like health can be like this. People get so obsessed with health and working out and eating that that's all they want to talk about. And they feel like if you're not healthy and you're not, you know, like they think like health is a godliness, you know, like you better be fit or else you're not really a Christian. And from my background scene in the hardcore metal scene, there was a group called Straight Edge, which was basically like Christian values without God. It was like, we're going to put X's on our hands and we're going to stand for, we're not going to drink, not going to do drugs, not going to have sex before marriage. But all just because they're like, this is like a, a good moral way of life. Nothing to do with God, but this is just like, now we're better than you. Now we're straight edge. We're, we're more right than you. And a lot of bands became like specifically straight edge, hardcore bands to promote that ideology. So on the outside, when you're like this, others might perceive you as having it all together. And you may occasionally feel good when others look at you that way and think that you've got it all together. And so you kind of you begin to crave that. And there's this hunger inside you to have others see you as that like ideal person to become. And so we, you add on these things to your life. You, you put pressure on yourself to be this kind of person because you don't want others to think that you have any faults. So you might appear like you've got it all together. But on the inside, if you're a legalist, you spend most of your time feeling guilty, distant from God, and often your solution is just to go deeper in that thing you're legalistic about, because that must be the problem. Maybe I'm not healthy enough still. Maybe I've got to rearrange my homeschool curriculum again. Maybe I've got to be more straight edge. Maybe I've got to be straight edge vegan you got to do more things now because you're feeling the guilt because what you're doing is you're not actually coming to God on His terms. You're trying to reach Him by your own means, and the guilt you feel is because you're still carrying around your guilt because you haven't come to Him to receive grace. You're still trying to earn it, but you're misinterpreting that guilt as, I'm still not doing enough, so you do more and do more until you get trapped. So, see, the point is that many will feel guilty and distant from God, because they've added on things that make them feel, in a sense, like, well, that's what you do to get closer to God. But then they don't feel that close like they want, and then they misinterpret that as being, i got to try harder, and they get trapped. When what God really wants is our heart. That's what He wants. Not, not, you're not perfect. You're going to mess up every day. But where's your heart? You can mess up and still be like, God, I'm sorry. I did it again. I still love you, though. I'm still going to follow after you. I don't have it all together. I make a bunch of mistakes. I'm confused. But here's my heart. Just take it in this messed up form. Do with it what you want it to be. He just wants your heart. So in this way, living legalistically, having this legalistic perspective it's inferior. Legalism is inferior, and that means it's less than. Being inferior means less than. 
When something is inferior, it means there's something superior. There's something better. There's a better way. And that'll be next week. This week we're talking about the inferiority of legalism, and next week it's the superiority of Christ. So Paul says here, those who are legalists, who put confidence in the flesh, who add on these extra things, thinking that this gets them closer to God, he could compete with the best of them based on their own requirements. Paul had things about his life that he could boast in before them and compete with them and get ahead. By their own standards, he could be like, I've got more to boast in than you. And he'll describe now a little bit about what that was. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. So when he says circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, you might know this, Jewish males were circumcised on the eighth day. That was a requirement by God in the Old Testament. And by mentioning it here, Paul is saying, I was born into Jewish life. On the eighth day of my birth, meaning my parents were practicing Jews, I was born a Jew of the people of Israel, meaning he wasn't a Gentile who later converted to Judaism. He was a pure Jew by birth, which was something that Jews prided themselves in. Gentiles who converted later were considered, again, inferior. Because there was a way, just so you know, as a Gentile, you could convert to becoming a Jew. Some of you might know this because uh, if you were here, and only a few of us were, at church back in January 28, 2016, one of our first teachings, Malik was there, Pam was there, Lindsay and the kids were there. We taught through John 1, verse 26, and talked about how, how John the Baptist says that, I only baptize with water. And we went into how it says that Jesus baptizes with Holy Spirit and fire, and we were talking what that means, Holy Spirit and fire, and baptizing with water versus fire. And it turns out, it comes from Numbers 31. In Numbers 31, God says to Israel, when you go into a land and you beat this land, you take their spoils, you've got to purify those spoils. And the way you purify them is put them through the fire. Now, if they can't take fire, like if it's fabric or if it's food or whatever, obviously you can't, you know. Instead, you can wash it with water. So water was considered the inferior way of purification. Fire was the ideal way. Um, there was a Jewish, Jewish scribe in the 3rd century, Abahu, who confirmed that fire was the true element of purification. But obviously, for humans, that would consume us. And so for a Gentile to convert, they'd have to be purified. They couldn't do it with fire, so it was just water. And they had to be circumcised and give a sacrifice. And so that was the way of being purified, but it was inferior. A couple of things to understand about what I just said. And these are in your study guides to help you because I don't want the details to help you miss the point. First, understand that purifying by water was considered inferior by the Jews. In fact, most of the questions have the same answer, I think, in my study guide. So purifying by water was considered by the Jews to be inferior. Second, understand that Gentiles who became Jews were considered to be inferior by Jews who were born that way. This is their idea of what it means to be inferior. Third, understand the Jews who believed they were superior were wrong. 
because they also were separated from God. Their birth into Judaism didn't automatically make them closer to God. This is why John the Baptist even called them to repentance, as if they were impure. So imagine that's why they were so offended at John, because baptizing in water was something Gentiles did to become Jew. a Jew. I was born Jewish. You're telling me to get baptized? And John's like, yes, because you're impure. They're like, how dare you, sir? It was offensive to them. But they were impure in God's eyes. They were. They weren't really following God with their hearts. Fourth, understand that Jesus provides the only superior way for purity. Washing in water versus washing in fire. This is what it means that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Humans can't naturally be baptized in fire without being consumed by it. So that means there was no way for us before Christ to be truly purified. So when it says He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and in fire, that means He found a way to truly purify us. The Holy Spirit can be inside of us now. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And because He died for our sins, when we put faith in Him, our sins are gone. He gives us His righteousness and we are completely purified by fire. So again, legalism, their form of purification is inferior. And Christ's way is superior. And it's really the only way that we can be purified. So then Paul said here, of the tribe of Benjamin, that was also something they could compete about. So you know, like Christians will compete about things like secular music or whatever else your you know, thing is. Well, among the Jews... There were different classes of Jews. Even if you were born into it, yes, but I am of the tribe of Benjamin. So, some history. Israel's first king, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin. So you can pride yourself in that. Also, um, later on after, after King Solomon's death, there was this thing where um, a lot of the Israelites broke off and started their own kingdom. But, the ben- but Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, remained with Judah and they stayed true to, uh, to God during that time. And so you could say he was born into the only tribe that, or one of the only tribes that remained faithful to God always. And by the way, the first king came out of my tribe. And so there are these ways to compete like us Christians do. This mentality is wrong, by the way, just in case you're wondering. The things we, we boast about, Christian, oh, I've been a Christian so long, or I've done this or that for so many years, or this is how, you know, we, when you're meeting a new person, often if they're a Christian, you begin to sort of like compare notes in like casual ways, you know, oh yeah, I've been to believe this, oh yeah, I do this, this is my ministry, oh yeah, well, the, you know, we all do those kind of things, we start kind of competing about our talents and our callings, what we do. I kind of, you know, really enjoy not telling people that I'm a pastor because when you say that, they start talking and acting different right away, uh, so I just like to just be a regular Christian when I'm talking to people, and um not have to compete about things. So he could boast about that. And then he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Today we use the term negatively for a Pharisee, but back then there were different types of Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. By the way, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. But... uh, The Pharisees were highly esteemed. 
very legalistic. They were seen by others to be great, faithful, holy Jews. They were unattainable. They were set apart, revered, and Paul was one of them. Not only was he one of them, but in Acts 22, verse 3, he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee and rabbi and great teacher, still known historically today for being a great rabbi in the Jewish history. He was a leader in the Sanhedrin. And so that's like saying, I'm not just a lawyer, but I'm a Harvard grad lawyer. He was a... He was a huh? What? Yeah. He, he was a Pharisee educated by the very prestigious Pharisee leaders. And again, even though these things were considered superior among the Jews, they were in fact inferior from God's perspective. Concerning being born of a Jew, doesn't matter what tribe you're born of. John the Baptist once said, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God's able to, from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. That doesn't matter to God, what you're born into. Concerning being a Pharisee, in Matthew 33, Jesus calls them hypocrites, vipers, blind fools, clean on the outside and filthy within, laying burdens on others that they couldn't even carry themselves. And so these are the ways the Jews would boast about themselves. I was born into this tribe. I was a Pharisee. But in God's perspective, these were inferior things. It's all just legalism. And it's all inferior once you realize what Christ has to offer. In verse 6, Paul says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, no one could question Paul's zeal. Do you know what zeal means, kids? To have zeal? Good thing I asked. Otherwise, you're like, what's he talking about? Having zeal means to be passionate, enthusiastic, to be devoted to something, to be excited so much about something you've got zeal, you're zealous for it. And Paul was zealous, he was passionate, he was devoted to the ways of Judaism. So much so that when this little Christ uh, cult came along, the Jews thought it was like some kind of cult, he was persecuting them. You might remember in Acts 9, Paul actually got letters from, um, from the leaders to go into cities and arrest Christ followers. He had letters from the high priest and he could go into any place and say, I have authority to arrest all the Christians here, and he was doing it. Paul was there when Stephen was martyred. He was on the wrong side of history back then. And among Jews, obviously, this would matter. Similar to how we might think it matters today. You see someone who's a believer who's always out there doing something, always out there helping somebody, sharing Christ with someone, you might think, that person is really zealous because look at all they're doing. I could never do all those things. But you might not have all the facts. What if that person's out there all the time doing those things because they are legalistic and they think, if I don't do this, I might not be saved. So you might see someone you think is zealous and their motives might be all the way wrong. What about the person who strongly believes in Christ, but their ministry is going into their closet and praying for hours for the loss in their city? And all they do is pray. They're zealous, but nobody sees it. Paul was zealous in a way that everybody saw it, which is what some people crave. They want to be seen as zealous by other people. And so you might see a lot of young Christians immediately wanting to have 
positions of leadership over other people because they immediately hunger to be seen as a leader and seen as zealous. And too often, early believers, young believers, try to jump too high too fast, and they hurt themselves and a lot of people with them because they're not ready, but they had this craving to be seen as zealous. But not everybody who seems zealous is zealous in the right ways. What about the Jehovah's Witnesses? You know, they spend like every Saturday going door to door. And if they have days off of work, they go door to door. If they have holidays, they go door to door and share their gospel with people. Very committed, very respectful. I mean, very, like that's, that's hard work. Despite the fact that they're neglecting their families and they're not taking breaks because they feel like if they don't do those things, they're not going to get saved. So they're like losing at life, losing at what God wants for them by the sacrifice. And the Mormons, you know, Mormons, oh, it was so cool, I got to meet some last night. We were at the Bethlehem Village thing, and they got added to our group, and some elder missionaries were there. It was kind of fun to talk to them. But these kids, after high school, they feel like they have to go on a two-year mission before college to get into the highest level of heaven. They have these things they have to do. And a lot of these kids, you know, they leave high school, and they're sent across the world. They can barely communicate, correspond with their family for two years, they're lonely. They're going door to door and getting rejected everywhere by everybody. You know, so they, they feel hated a lot. It's lonely. It's rough, especially during COVID. Imagine that. Very, very big sacrifice. Very hard thing to do. That's, it's respectful what they're doing. But they're not right. They're believing the wrong things. Like my old pastor used to always say, you can be passionate, but passionately wrong. So Paul would say, I was very zealous just for the wrong things. And then he goes on to say, blameless under the law. Did I go back to that verse? Blameless under the law. Concerning the law, blameless. For Again, from a Jewish perspective. A Jew could weave such a tight net around what was allowed and not allowed, and they could bring themselves to believe that they were blameless. And they had all sorts of loopholes. They had ways to justify, for example, swearing by the temple, swearing by the altar. They could justify not providing for their parents in the old age. They could justify divorce, among other things. They had ways of justifying explicit commands in the Old Testament through their legalistic add-ons. They could now justify how some of those things were okay. And that was the only way they could see themselves as blameless, was to do that. So they would do that. And Jesus pointed out that their supposed blamelessness was actually not blamelessness at all. It was twisting the law. It was hypocrisy. It was inferior. And Paul agrees with this, actually, even though here he's saying that according to the law, he's blameless. He just means from their perspective, because if you look at Romans chapters 2 and 3, he really goes into detail about how it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Us Jews couldn't follow the law either fully, and so we're all guilty under sin. We can all only be saved by faith, by grace through faith. So Paul does believe that, but again, from their perspective, he was blameless. And I want to say real quick, let's not make that same mistake today because we can create loopholes for ourselves. where if we make a mistake or we sin against somebody, we hurt somebody, we can make excuses for why it happened, explain away what caused us to do that without ever really apologizing for it. And we don't need loopholes. Forgiveness is free. So just take it. 
take the forgiveness and stop making excuses and be truly blameless. Then verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain Paul had, whatever he thought he had, it was inferior to what Christ wanted to offer. Again, it's like that metaphor of, I love that metaphor, you're going on a journey and Christ invites you to go with Him. There's a big old ship, it's coming to take you away and you bring your bag of goodies for your trip and you're showing Jesus all the things that you've done and He's like, oh, but I have this bag for you. It's like all this new stuff and you look back at your bag and it's dirty and torn and food's old and it's all just kind of moldy and you're like, I'll take Christ's bag. It's, It's exactly like that. It's like whatever we think we have, whatever we think we bring to the table, whatever things are valuable to us, whatever gains we think that make us superior to others, make us in some way better than somebody else, that's all just lost. That all just doesn't matter compared to what Christ has for us. It's all inferior. So the main point of all these verses is to emphasize that legalism in any way is so inferior to what Christ wants to give us for free. It doesn't even compare And if there are any signs in us that we're trying to earn our way to God or feeling guilty all the time and trying to please other people or if we always feel this pressure to not be judged by anybody to make sure that our life is ordered so that no one can ever blame us for anything and we we go through life with that stress, then we're not really accepting the free gift of Christ. And if you know people that are feeling this way or if they go to a church that teaches that they have to earn their God's favor by doing some good works, or if they have to go to some earthly priest to get to God, that's legalism and it's inferior. And what God has for us in Christ is so much better, and again, we'll get into that next week with the superior of Christ. For now, though, I'll leave with this verse that demonstrates what Christ offers free of charge, and then we'll take communion together. In Romans 3, starting at verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God wants you to be free and happy in Him. He wants you to find your joy and your rest and your fulfillment in Him. Not in rules, not in strict laws, not in guilt, not in pressure. You can rest. You can know Him. You can enjoy Him. Just give Him your heart.